staying kind of within the, the idea or the theme of romance, um, today we're going to talk about God's relentless pursuit of an intimate relationship with us and his desire to speak to us and his desire for us to, be, to know him and to be known by him. Um, this is John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that they may know you. And this is basically the whole sum of what God is after in us. It's easy to read through that line and it just sounds kind of like passe. But think about that. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And then think about this. Like This is Daniel Day-Lewis screaming, I will find you. And Jesus, whom you have sent. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty big intention towards us. Uh, some of you guys know that my giftings are really to be an equipper. So as we're talking today, this hopefully won't just be really pretty uh, poetry or verses. It's really just that God would do something in us about how we relate to God. And so let's see if it works. Pray. Let's pray together. <laughs> Jesus, the truth is, is you are the great equipper. Uh, you, Holy Spirit, are our helper. You've come to convict us of sin, the places where we're far from Jesus and to lead us into all truth, which is Jesus. And so we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come into each of our hearts. Pray that you'd take this little bit of time that we have together and multiply it in a way that affects eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of you guys know the story of how I met Jesus, that I was an atheist, 16-year-old kid, and then in the middle of a pretty significant experience in my life, I had to take an Algebra two trigonometry test, which for me is, is a wild experience. I'm not very good at math. And sitting in the middle, in Arizona, in the middle of an Algebra two trigonometry classroom, the Holy Spirit just came in. The presence of God flooded the room. And you know, see, we say that a lot to each other, that the Holy Spirit came in or the presence of God, but I had no context for that, and it was a game changer for me. Um, I knew that God was real. I just didn't know what to do with it or who he was. And so I ended up about a week later out in, in Florida where my mom lived. And my mom uh, introduced me to a pastor who they had just started going to his church. So she asked if I would meet with them. And it was really only about four days after I'd been there. He pulled up to our house. You guys know this, this guy. His name is Jim Newsom. He speaks here quite a bit. So he pulls up and you know the story. But he basically took me to do errands with him. I won't repeat the story. But there were two things that happened that day that he said that changed my life. Well, there's actually about seven, 70 million things he said that day. But there are two things that I think were just key, and they're surprising that they were so key. The first thing, hi, James. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. No, he didn't say I did. <laughs> Isn't James great? The first thing that he said was his story. He started to talk about how he had killed somebody and that how God sent a 16-year-old girl to walk into a party where he was going to kill himself, and his life was changed. And at the time, I was just thinking, I was hearing what my parents were saying, and I was hearing that there was this perfect father who wanted to love me. And I just couldn't conceive of how, if I had a human father who really didn't want to be around me very much, how in the world then would a perfect father think I was so great? I just it couldn't, I couldn't even hit it. But then as Jim Newsom tells the story about how he killed somebody, the first thing that clicked for me was like, well, gosh, if Jesus can love him and he killed somebody, I guess I have a chance. So that was the first thing that was a big one for me. Which, by the way, no matter what you've done, you have a chance, right? Second thing that really hit me that 
just, I don't know that it would have hit everybody, but it hit me, was that he told this story, I can remember where we were, we were pulling into a car wash. And he told the story of how he had been ministering on a campus, and God kept speaking to him as he was talking, saying, somebody has a headache. And so he stopped, and he said, I'm so sorry, I feel like the Lord is saying to me that somebody has a headache. And so if you have a headache, I really believe that the Lord would heal you, you know, come forward. Nobody came forward. He kept going. He's trying to like say his message and you know, and the, some people are being touched, but then the Lord speaks again and he says, somebody has a headache. And so he stops again and he says, okay, I really believe that the Lord's saying to me that somebody has a headache, you know, please come forward, nothing. So it happens a few more times and finally this girl, this college girl is just breaking and she comes forward and she has a terrible headache and God changes her life. So first of all, I could have been drawn to the fact that God is so powerful and he can do those things. And I, I think, sure, that story has spoken that to me. God is powerful. He's still doing things like that. You need to know that. But what really hit me is that he said God spoke to him. Yes. I mean, think about that. God spoke to him. I was an atheist. The reason I stayed away from churches is I thought the church people were probably a bunch of losers who were all coming into this building and they were petting a statue and they were giving their money. It was some kind of a pyramid scheme. And that's what I thought it was, which, by the way, is what a lot of people probably think out there. But it, it never occurred to me that there was an opportunity to interact with this God, that, that you could know him, that you could talk with him, that you could be with him. My whole childhood, my whole youth, my dad had been kind of locked away in a bedroom just because of alcohol. And here was the most perfect father, and not only could he love me, but he wanted to talk to me, and he could talk to me. And honestly, that did it. Like, that did it. From there on, there were a bunch of things we had to get through. I wanted to talk about dinosaurs and stuff like that. But, but basically, he said, you believe in God. You're not so sure about Jesus. Go to the God you believe in. And he showed me the verse of ask, seek, and knock. And he said, and ask him. And within three days, I fell down next to my bed, and I just said, I'm so sorry. I just didn't know. The reason that I'm sharing this with you guys today is that I think, I think that hearing God speak is central to knowing him. And I think it's hard sometimes to have people help you really focus on this. And I think as believers, it's easy to get going with a lot of momentum and not pay attention to this. And so today, we're gonna pay a little bit of attention to this. So this is my big point this morning. God is a relational God who has created us for communion or for intimate fellowship with him, an intimate relationship with him. And I would just say to you what you already know, it is impossible to have an intimate personal relationship with somebody you don't talk to. You know, some of you guys in your marriage have been to couples counseling, some will admit it, some won't, but you have been, and if you're any good at being married, you probably have been. Uh, and what's the first thing that they talk about? They talk about communication, you know? But for a lot of us in our relationship with God, we never talk about communication and we need to. What's interesting is Jesus talked a lot about it. I know about you guys as a congregation, as I've gotten to know a lot of you, and a lot of you are new, but the thing that I've seen in every single person that I've met in this church is that you're here in this church today because you have a desire to grow in your relationship with God. That's what makes this church so great, is it's a group of people that are running for him, and it helps to be together when we're running for him. So you may be a young person sitting out here today who's fighting to figure out how to do it. 
you know, how faith can work for you. And I think that this will be a good message that could help you in these next few minutes. You may be an older person who is struggling to find your way into a relationship with God that will help you break through real difficulties you're facing. Um, Even some of the difficulties that are just things deep within your heart. And I think this will help you today. And then let's just be honest. You may be a grizzled veteran here. I'm not looking at anybody, Jay. Who has walked with him? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Who has walked with him for years, but who knows you have no less need today to hear him than you did the first time you did? That's just the nature. He didn't bring us this far to leave us here. There's more that he has to say and do in us. Our desire here at Covenant Life Church, just like Patrick said this morning, is to be a spiritual family. And that doesn't just mean meeting in the same room or singing songs together. We want to be a group where every single person here, regardless of your age or your background, is able to receive the gift of Jesus laying down his life for you in order that we can come closer into a deeper and deeper relationship with the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that includes hearing his voice and responding to it. This is what our hearts are made for. Do you know of all the things you're looking for, including chocolate cake at night or a Coke or whatever it is or another great television show, do you know what your heart's really looking for? You're looking to hear him. You know, there, it's the only thing actually that will satisfy your heart. Um, and, and it's what God wants for you today. Did you know that God wants that more for you today than you want it yourself? So we're going to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. We're just going to look at three stories of Samuel's life, just to kind of allow it to speak to us, just to get some insights about learning to hear God's voice and what it it looks like when you are a leader or a person who hears his voice. Um, Here's a few things to just think about that will help you. Um, God is always speaking. Like, it's not a seasonal thing for him. The heavens declare his righteousness. He's a talker. (laughs) But he's not just a talker who talks and it's one-sided. He's a talker who invites you into relationship. And he actually listens to every word you say. He's a covenant God. He's a God who, when you speak, he listens to it and it builds something. But he's also a covenant-making God. When he speaks, it's a promise that your whole life can hang on. And if you think about all the people he spoke to across Scripture, often those first lines end up being promises that just are key. Those clouds in the sky out there today, do you know why they're there? Because he told them to be. They hang in the sky because of his word. All things are sustained by his powerful word. Uh, Years ago, this happened several times in our life. We've not always been a couple with a lot of money. Who needs that stuff, right? You just have to organize it, protect it. But we were in some time where it was like, do you pay the power bill? You know, it's like, it's a big question of do you pay the power bill? And the Lord said, pay it. And I was like, ah. Uh. But then he said, but first tithe. And I was like, there's not enough money to do both. And he was like, you just need to do it because I told you to do it. I said, you're, what you're telling me to do is impossible. And I'm driving in San Antonio. And he says, do you see the clouds in the sky? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, do you know why they're there? And what I just told you. And I said, okay. And he said, because I told him to be there. And he said, and I can bring them down. And it started to rain. And this is a true story. And I feel a little guilty about this. But it was one of 200-year floods came to San Antonio within about a year. And I'm not saying I caused it. He just used it to make a story. So careful, careful. But that's one of the keys here, and you're going to see it in Samuel's life. He's not just talking, but he is also listening. Like a relationship is both. Every single word you have ever said to him, he holds. 
in his hand. He remembers it. Um, and by the way, his words are, are pretty darn powerful too. Does he always do exactly what you say? Thank goodness, no. <laughs> but he, he does hear you. Kathy doesn't always do everything I say. And thank goodness she doesn't. Don't tell her that. Oh, just. Okay, so we're, we're here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerohoam, or Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. That's, a, that's just a cool, quick beginning of a story. So part of what Part of what we're going to do today is watch the way God goes after Samuel's heart. And the interesting thing about the story is it doesn't start with Samuel. And that's really interesting as a parent today. That your story and your actions are setting up your children's story with the Lord. And there's a lot of things you're doing right now that will seed their relationship with the Lord. And sometimes even possibly um, you know, cause some, some, some trouble. But what's interesting with Hannah here is that one aspect of growing in the fear of the Lord is that we have to believe and trust that God is sovereign, that all things work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. God works spiritual hunger in us or into us by allowing us to face things that we cannot handle without his help and power. He orchestrates every detail of our lives out of his great wisdom to lead us deeper into lives of faith. So there's a lot of times in your life where you ask him for something and it doesn't happen. And you ask him for something, and it doesn't happen. And it feels like he's not doing something. But what he's doing is something. He's setting something up. And in this story, honestly, what's happening in Hannah is she's getting more and more passionate. She's crying out for this thing. Is It's changing her. And it's changing and forming a foundation for her relationship with the Lord that not only changes her life, but it actually lays a foundation for Samuel's. We'll keep going. Year after year, this is verse 3, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, Phinehas, we'll do that, the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Akana to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So first of all, this is a very cute romance going on. And also a very sad story for Hannah. But what's great about Hannah is like, she doesn't grow bitter. There's so many places this goes. If, people, if God doesn't answer our prayers immediately, for a lot of us, we flip and we're just like, he's never gonna do it. He's never gonna help us. But Hannah stays upright. She stays right there and she keeps going after him. She allows it to deepen her instead of in destroying her. Um, when our faith is low or immature, our focus is on our circumstances. Joseph Garlington says, in immaturity, we wrestle with each other, and our circumstances, immaturity, we wrestle with God. We relate to our circumstances more than we do to God, wanting worry-free lives that we can enjoy and handle on our own. So when we finally do pray, it's for God to get our circumstances back in order to take away any pain or suffering or need. 
But God makes provision for us through a process. God makes provision for us through a process. And it's a process that builds our faith, our trust, our desperation, and our relationship with him far more than an immediate answer to prayer could. If you think about it, if you give your children every single thing that they want, you know, you just watch kids in the checkout stand, even as grandparents now, and you just watch it happen. And there's a little boy walking through Publix yesterday yearning for a balloon, and his mom just kept saying to him, it's not your birthday, <laughs> it's a birthday balloon. It didn't matter to him, he wanted it. And finally, I looked around, and finally the kid had the balloon. But you know what happens to your kids when you give them everything they want, every moment that they want. And so we're sometimes uncertain about God's trustworthiness and realness, and if he doesn't turn and give us what we want every moment, we're ready to jump ship. But that's really bad object permanence, you know, for a child. That's really bad in faith development. We actually do need an Abrahamic-like walk into difficult circumstances where we see God come through in his own way that teaches us his ways and it lifts us out of our ways. That's good parenting, and he's really good at this. And you're seeing this happen in Hannah's story. Let's keep going. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And this is a beautiful part. Suffering forms our initial step towards God as a sincere, wholehearted, pure plea for help and salvation. When you get to the moment where she is, where you're crying like that, where you're asking for him to move, she's not being a spoiled kid in that moment. She's being a real person dealing with God. It's a little bit like Mary and Martha when Lazarus dies. And Martha meets Jesus, and she's very religious. But Mary's just like, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And I think God loves that stuff. Sincere, real conversations. He's building us towards that kind of a relationship with him. And it takes suffering, like Chris was talking about last week. It takes suffering to get to that. Yeah, this kind of clarity and sincerity, it's a gift. It makes it almost impossible not to pray with our whole hearts. And it's a powerful key to breakthrough. You don't want to pray quick, easy prayers that get God to act quicker. You don't want that. You don't want to change God. You want prayer to change you. And you want it to get you to a place where he actually gets you exactly where he wants you, ready for the breakthrough. If you ever want to read a great story of that, Deuteronomy 8 is really Moses talking to them about how God used the wilderness to get them ready to be blessed, that it would go well for them in the end, not just for a second. This is the final part of this, this, this segment. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli, Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. And she said, not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. That's interesting. 
Early in the morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. What's interesting is that Hannah has grown in a relationship with him, that by the time she hears from, from a man of God that God's heard her, it's done. Man, that's something in your relationship with God where you get to the point, that's called faith. That's called trust. When you get to the point where you're learning who he is and you know you can bank on his words, that is a really good place to be and it starts to build something in you. Real faith moves God and it also provokes those who are unfaithful around us. That's interesting. You see, everybody's getting a little crazy with how intense she is. Uh, Charles Finney used to say, if you start to hear God, you'll be considered eccentric because you'll be in a room and everybody else is only hearing the sounds that are in the room. But you're hearing something else. You're marching to the beat of another drummer. And people will think you're eccentric. So I'm just saying that if you've ever thought that about me, Donna. Just kidding. <laughs> so key takeaways from this first part. Desire. Desire is a part of learning to hear God's voice. Needing to hear God's voice is a part of hearing God's voice. If you don't really want to hear God's voice, okay. You'll get what you want. But if you want to hear his voice, which means you're ready to do what he says, it's coming. God works in our lives a desperation or an awareness of our need to be closer to him as a first step towards drawing us to hear his voice. So sometimes when you're asking for him to speak to you, watch how he's starting to set up circumstances that make you need it, and he's moving. Like actually the desire rising in you means he's moving. Number two, listen. When we get desperate, we start to fast or lay down the things we've been listening to, our own thought lives. Media, constant media, our friends' voices, the world, uh, even the enemy. We turn off our podcasts, we get to a place of quiet and both call out to him and then wait and listen for what he will say and do. Blessed are those who wait for him. So when you get to that level of desire, you'll start turning things off you'll start shutting them down. It's, it's called humility. You'll start, you'll start, like an athlete who wants to win a game, you start taking your watch off and everything off that could encumber, you know, you're running after him. And that's another good sign, the fact that you're willing to listen. And sometimes, sometimes when God's speaking, I have the attention span of a gnat. And so then he takes me back into some circumstances that will up my desire and will lengthen my attention span. And so that's what he he does. Desire, listening, believing. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We sometimes misunderstand faith. Like we think it's some liquid thing or some emotion. But faith is hearing or perceiving God's words, his actions, his presence, and it's responding to it. Faith is relational. Uh, faith is really that he's doing something and I'm responding to it. And by its nature, faith builds a relationship. The central point of the Reformation was the line, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. It wasn't about works, wasn't about penance, wasn't about all these other things. It was just by faith. And so faith is the ability to hear him, to respond to him. Now, is faith also taking the scripture, which is the things he said across history? Of course it is. But faith comes from hearing him speak to you and responding to it. It's relational. 
And so what's kind of cool is Paul is saying in Romans that Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Those days where you feel guilty and shameful and you think about who you are, all it takes is for you to believe in the gospel, believe in what Jesus is saying to you, believe in him and respond to him. And it's credited to you. Jesus' account is credited to you. That is a really nice thing. There's no amount of times you have to be here to be forgiven. It really just comes down to will you believe and receive his actions, his words towards you. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you truly and sincerely are at the end of yourself and you know you need him, all you need to do is make a choice to believe that he's real, that he really came to earth for you to lay down his life, for you to allow you to find forgiveness for what you've done and to be drawn into the relationship with God you were made for. All you have to do is to believe and then he washes you. That's great. But Derek Prince used to say, you're a follower of Jesus if right now you're following Jesus. So again, we get really unrelational around belief. If you come up here, if you believe in this moment, it's done. (laughs) Believing is relational. It's an ongoing believing. It's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing relationship. I'm not questioning your eternal salvation if it goes quiet. I'm just saying, that's not much fun. (laughs) You're made for a relationship with him. Not just one moment of believing, but growing in faith. Growing, just like you're saying, Hannah. And that's what the life of God in us is. Let's turn back to the story. Chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli in those days. Well, under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So this is fascinating. Samuel's growing up in a time in society where people do not hear God's voice. So he has no context for either expecting to hear God's voice or knowing how to do so. He does, however, have the seed in him of Hannah's faith and prayer life, which makes his heart alive to a relationship with God. Think about that. This is a kid who's nobody around him is hearing God's voice. Not Eli and not his sons. Nobody. So how does it happen to him? I really believe it goes back to the seeds that his very existence comes from a relationship with God. His very existence comes from Hannah and who she is. I was thinking about this. My mom was, is a hairdresser. And she did this great thing where every day I would come home, she would put me up on the counter as she would cook, you know, whatever we were going to eat. And she's a talker, and then she let me be a talker, and she would share her whole day with me, and I would share my whole day with her. And I was speaking at a youth group one time about learning to hear God's voice, and I thought, that was so great, because it taught me that a that a parent would want to hear everything I have to say, and it taught me to listen to and know them. And it seeded in me that when I met Jesus, I was like, well, of course. Of course I would go talk to him, you know? And I just thought, that's kind of the kind of things that, as parents, you're seeding all the time. Don't let your children drive in a car with you with with earphones in their ears. (laughs) Make them talk to you, for goodness sake. (laughs) Okay. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. 
Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Now you guys know this story, but this is a great story. Like this is just this be a cool movie. This is just a wonderful story. This kid is hearing voices. He has no idea what to do. So he's just running and wake, waking up uh, the priest. Uh, then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy down, down in verse eight. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. And Eli asked, what was it he said to you? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he's the Lord. Let him do what's good in his eyes. It says this of Samuel. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. That's a great story. So this is a time where Israel's really in trouble and they're not hearing God's voice. And God reaches into this one kid whose mom had set him up by, in a time where people aren't relating to God, she did it and she stuck with it and she went for it and she let the Lord deal with her and she came out of it swinging and knowing him and with fruit. And then this kid's just hanging out, going to sleep and God walks in. And you know, it's interesting how God doesn't always use perfect people in our lives. But God uses Eli to tell him to go and listen. And Samuel begins a relationship with God that is one of the most significant in history, where his hearing God's voice, not just for himself, not just for Hannah, but for an entire kingdom, sets us up today. It's, he's the one that God leads to David, of course. But there's some key things for us. When God speaks, number one, hear hear what he has to say. So first, if you go back, was the desire, let him build the desire in you. Two, listen. Three, believe, really believe. And, and then when he speaks, which comes when, when he's building belief in your heart, faith as small as a mustard seed can allow you to move mountains. But when God speaks, um, well, this is interesting. When God speaks, he can do it in a million ways. I've had God speak to me through song lyrics, through bumper stickers, uh, of course, through messages and things like that, of course, through his word and every day. And by the way, press into his word, press into his word, press into his word, because when he speaks, that's what will help you confirm it. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But actually, reading the word of God is what tunes you to be ready to hear his voice. Read, reading the word of God confirms what he says, and reading the word of God makes sense of what he says. So for sure, through the word of God. But he also speaks into your heart. And, and it feels a lot like he's speaking into your thought life, but it's different. It's into your heart. 
you are always listening to three voices. There's your own voice, and for many of us, we talk all the time to ourselves, you know. God's not speaking to some of us because he can't get a word in edgewise. We're having an incredible conversation with ourselves. Isn't that crazy? Like, you know what you're going to say. Where are you going to get to? Like, what are you working through for Jesus, you know? But most of the time, we're listening to somebody else's voice or we're listening to our own voice so much that he doesn't get a chance. Second is there's also um, the enemy's voice. It's interesting about your voice is your voice is pretty predictable. You kind of know what you're going to say most of the time. Every once in a while, you impress yourself. But most of the time, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty uh, steady. The enemy's voice is interesting and in it will always push you down. It may feel like it's lifting you up. It may say a bunch of crazy, weird, arrogant things that, that are teasing you up. But the truth is it will always leave you down. And learning how to recognize that and say no to it is big. But then there's God's voice. And Joseph Garlington used to say that if you want to, when they're teaching bank tellers how to identify counterfeits, they don't give them counterfeit money. They give them lots and lots of real money to teach them how to identify the difference. And so you don't need to spend too much time thinking about how does the enemy speak. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, spend a lot of time pressing into what God is saying. It's also great to be around believers who can help you and listen to the kind of things that God is saying to them. So first here. Two, and you know, by the way, the hearing is kind of like tuning in a radio. And I can actually tell how my heart is doing by how clear I am. And sometimes I, I get unclear. Your radio tuner is fragile. And it helps me to be around all of you. It helps me to be around leaders that God uses in my life. There are people that just tune me quicker. And then a lot of mornings I wake up and I'm in rough shape, but I start to read scripture for a little while and it's like it starts to run clearer for me. And it's probably similar for you. Confirm is the next one. I know so many people who miss this next step and I think the enemy actually encourages this for us. Hearing God's voice is not an individual pursuit. Patrick alluded to that today. When we're born again and we're baptized in water, we come out of the waters dead to our old autonomous way of life and into a family of faith. You really need a coach. You really need somebody who's older, who has some longitudinal understanding of your life, who's watching you, who can kind of be like, I remember I used to hang out with a guy named John Stanko and he would say, what are you hearing this week? Because he really pushed me to hear God's voice. I said, well, number one, I'm hearing uh, that I was late to work and I felt like God said that wasn't good. And he said, it sounds right. I said, number two, I was reading in Proverbs and I was reading about doing everything well, you know, and doing it at work kind of unto the Lord and stuff like that. He said, sounds right. And do you see how that goes with the other one? I was like, yes, I do. And then I said, then I was walking across campus and I saw a girl in a bikini and I think I'm going to marry her. It's like, let's go back to that third one. <laughs> he said, that might not be the Lord. <laughs> you need a coach and you need somebody who will help you. Um, what's kind of interesting is in the beginning, I would meet with Chris and I would say a hundred things. I talk a lot. Poor Chris, those early years. And about 20% of them were pretty good. And the rest of them would just say, I would challenge you to go back into those things. See what God's saying a little deeper. But with repeated weeks and repeated weeks, it got to 40%. And years, it got to 60%. And years, 80%. And, and later, when we lived in San Antonio with Chris and Donna, a lot of times I would come in and he'd just be like, that is great. Like, go. Go do it all. You know, go do it all. And um, I will say that to, the, to this day, my tuner is fragile and I still need to be close to you guys or it goes off. So it never gets just perfect. 
but it gets great. So then here's an interesting thing. We, we take leaders out into tough neighborhoods and you really need to be able to hear him and whether you go to the right or the left, your teachers will be hidden no more. You'll hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. You need to be able to hear him and do it. So then what do I do? I don't have anybody to confirm it. Well, in those moments, I just have to go for it, trusting that I've been trained. And so that's a really interesting thing. When you have the ability to confirm it and go for it, keep yourself trained. Because there are going to be so many moments during your day where you're not going to have the time to stop. It would be very, very slow if you did. Final, final one on this one is act or obey. Belief comes from a Greek action verb. It's not just a good feeling or mental assent. It is a dogged pursuit of what God is saying to you, how he's leading you. When we think of sin, or we think of sin as the bad things that we do, but God's definition of sin is very different. It's interesting. For God, sin includes every moment, every millimeter of separation between us and him. That's such an interesting part where like, oh, I did this thing and it's sin. But every moment that you're ignoring him, every moment that you're not close to him, I mean, he who claims to be without sin is a liar. Like we're being drawn closer and closer, but thank goodness for his forgiveness. But sin is that separation. The fruit of it is the stuff we don't like. The root of it is that we're not close to him. Why do you grab onto things that don't satisfy your heart? Because your heart's not satisfied by him. Don't take a kid who hasn't eaten dinner into a candy store and get mad at him for wanting candy. And for you yourself, you have to find him. I really want to tell you a final story, but we have no time for it. I would say, as you have some time, go to 1 Samuel 7. And it's this amazing moment where all of Israel comes to Samuel. And you know what they do? They do exactly what he tells them to do. And it's great. And it says that they don't even deal with the Philistines ever again, you know, or like in that time. They say under Samuel's rule, they don't even deal with the Philistines again. My point of why I wanted to tell it to you is to see what happens as you grow as a leader, as you grow as a person that grows into these things. Um, this relationship that God's building with you is really important. It, it'll change the history of your family. It will break generational curses. It'll change the history of this church. When God starts speaking to all of us, the things he says layer together and our lives layer together into a community of giftedness and discernment and we go places together we could never get. If you're a young person, he's after you. And he's really good at this. Uh, when we first started helping young people hear God's voice, Robert Grant said to t say, say this. He said, tell them it's easy. It's not hard. And I really would say that it is very easy. The bigger question is how much do you want to hear him? And that's both true for younger people, but that's also true for us today. We get going in, in what you said, Patrick, in our pride. We get going in our momentum, and we kind of don't have time. You know, we're, we're dealing with stuff. A lot of times, we're so dealing with the, the blessings God's given us that we don't have time to talk to the one who gave them to us. And my point to you is that you'll miss out on some of what Samuel becomes. This is a time where we need leaders. This is a critical moment in the history of the body of Christ. It's not a moment just to listen to everything you're hearing on the radio or in media and think that's true. This is a moment where God is doing creative things. He's speaking creative things. And this is a moment where it will require leaders to rise who hear him. Um, spiritual leaders, leaders who believe, leaders who listen, leaders who respond. He's beautiful. He's trustworthy. He loves the heck out of you. You know, for him, it's romantic. I was thinking the other day, last thing I'll say, 
I was thinking the other day that if I was going to look at two stories of God's relationship with us, his story would be Hosea, where God tells a guy to marry a woman who's going to have three affairs. And that's the Lord. He's ready even when we turn away because we don't turn away on purpose. Most of the time we turn away because we don't see him. But that's his side of the story. But then I was thinking, what's our side of the story? And you've heard me speak on this. Our side is Songs of Solomon. From our side, we're running after him. Where is he? I can't find him. And it's funny because he's just standing right there watching us. He's been like, oh, bless. Come on, get over here. I was just thinking those are the two sides of the story. So he said, she said. The Lord is speaking to you today. I can say that without a doubt. We're going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing another song. But as we sing the song, what I would say to you is, can you believe how much he wants to speak to you? How much he wants to build your capacity to hear him? Your ability to walk out the things that he's saying to you? And there's a great reward for doing so. First of all, you get to know him. You get to know his ways. But then second of all, he will lead us into great adventures. I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are speaking. You spoke to Adam and Eve. You spoke to Noah. You spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You spoke to Moses, to Joshua, to Samuel. You even spoke to Saul. You spoke to David. You spoke to the prophets. You, Jesus, you said that you only do what the Father says to do and you only say what the Father says to say. You spoke to Paul. You spoke to the rest of the disciples. You're speaking still. So Lord, we turn to you and we say, speak, your servant is listening. And Lord, we need it. Lord, please help us. There is something in our heart like a magnet that pushes back against another magnet. Lord, there's something in us that gets so inclined to read the next book and the next thing and the next nervous, anxious thought. But Lord, today we lay all that down. We just say, speak to us, lead us. Lord, we, we want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.